The scripture reading is from uh, John chapter 13, verses 1 to 20. And Jesus washes the feet, I'm sorry, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you, have, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for, I, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus predicts his betrayal. I am not referring to all of you. I know those who I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. God's word. Good morning, everyone. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Greg. And uh, yeah, that's my name. I'm not sure why I pretended like there was more to say. How many of you are familiar with the expression hocus pocus? 
Okay, quite a lot. Now, as a child of the 80s, I was raised watching Canadian television, TV Ontario. And hocus pocus for me will always be connected to the phrase, hocus pocus alamagocus. Oh, somebody else saw that show. <laughs> it's a catchphrase which, you know, along with this magic hat, it would turn a department store mannequin into a dancer when it was said by a rat with a perm. You know, cla classic Canadian TV, you know, very, today's special, you should check it out. They're going to put it online, I'm sure, one of these days. Children of the 90s, of course, know Hocus Pocus because of the movie of these three goofy uh, sister witches, supposed to be a children's thing, even though their whole point is to eat children. It's kind of strange. But, uh, and I see that there's advertising everywhere. They, they finally, we've all been waiting for them to do a second one, and it's coming out. Now, the words Hocus Pocus actually have been used for hundreds of years, going back to, I think, the 16th century as for their, it's a magician's term that's supposed to sound like this mysterious ancient Latin incantation by which uh, magically causes change to happen, right? Hocus pocus, a rabbit came out of my hat, or hocus pocus, my handkerchief turned into a flower. I thought about like having a bunch of handkerchiefs tied together so that I could just like pull it out of my sleeve and impress you with this, the amount of stuff that I can stuff down my shirt, but that's not magic. But hocus pocus, you know what I mean? Well, the most likely origin, though, of hocus pocus is actually this. Communion bread. In the Catholic Church, when they gather for worship, uh, the part of the Mass that we, we hear we call communion, the part of the Mass is called the Eucharist. Now, that's a fancy word. It's a Greek word, uh, which means, it means thanksgiving. So whenever you see thankfulness or thanksgiving in the Bible, it's usually this word Eucharist in the Greek. But the root of the word Eucharist, right in the middle, is the Greek word for grace. So communion, the Eucharist, what we're doing here is thanksgiving with grace at the center. Uh, it has nothing to do with hocus pocus. I just think that's a beautiful thing for us to remember. But in the Catholic Eucharist, the key moment is when the priest holds up the bread. And like Sam said, Jesus' words, this is my body. Which in Latin, which is what uh, the Catholic Mass was in for thousands of years, is hoc est corpus meum. Hoc est corpus. Does that sound familiar? Hoc est corpus. Hocus pocus. In Catholic tradition, it is believed that at the moment that the priest utters these words, the bread, its very substance, changes into the substance of Christ's body. What, bread, what was bread literally becomes the substance of Christ. Hocus, hoc est corpus. This is my body. Hocus pocus. And poof, what was one thing has now become another. Now, of course, it became a magical term, you know, from critics of the Catholic Church who would say uh, that there is no real magic uh, in communion, that incantations and waving your arms around are merely tricks of a musician, musician, <laughs> tricks of a magician using sleight of hand to try to mislead you and misdirect you, and that it's all just hocus pocus. Now, I don't personally believe the bread and the wine literally change into substance of Christ with the pronunciation of a catchphrase. Um, but I do believe that in this moment, in this place, when we gather as the people of God, 
who are the body of Christ, to eat and drink together, I do believe that by the Holy Spirit, something is happening here that is beyond simply bread and juice. It's not magic. And what it calls us to definitely isn't as easy as simply waving our arms and saying a few words. But there is a sense in which when we gather around this table as a family, unified in Jesus' body and blood, that it is true that Jesus does, in some sense, suddenly appear amidst us, like he did to the, to the disciples after he was first resurrected and he appeared in the room with them. That at this family table, when we look around, we suddenly see that Jesus is right there in the bread and the wine, that, it is, that Jesus is right there in the person next to you, that Jesus is right there in the person who isn't sitting next to you because, well, at least at the moment, you're not really, you know, enjoying one another's company <laughs> and so you're keeping apart. But that is Christ right there. It's not just hocus pocus, but being a family around the Lord's table, living out grace and thanksgiving, there's nothing magic about it. It's beautiful, but it's hard. Now let us pray. Jesus, we are in this place gathered around your table uh, to worship you and to see you uh, in our midst. We ask God that you would open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, and our bodies, that we would see you as you wish to be seen today amongst us. Amen. Uh, as Sam mentioned last week, uh, coming through the kind of the final gasps of the pandemic into the new realities of, you know, an endemic living with COVID into perhaps forever, <laughs> the realities of our world has changed. And so our leadership in this time has discerned three areas of our values and our discipleship approach. We sensed that God was calling us to pay attention to. Sam mentioned this last week. In God's presence, we are sent. In God's presence, we are restored. And as we are looking at this week, in God's presence, we belong. Being isolated from one another has caused all kinds of relational challenges everywhere in life. For some of us, we feel like we've almost moved past that. But for many of us, probably particularly those of us who are with us online right now, we are still isolated, shut in with immunocompromised persons. Our society is still closed off in many ways from one another. And it's, these challenges have been everywhere in life and no less in how we gather as a community of Jesus followers. Long before COVID came on the scene, feelings and experiences of isolation was on the rise. A spreading virus of loneliness that the pandemic merely fermented at an exponential rate, like mold growing in moist darkness. But it was already there and it was already growing. And the desire to belong, to be welcomed, to truly be seen and known and accepted and celebrated and loved, to belong is a desire that all people share. To have people with whom we feel at home, people where no matter how quirky or outside of the lines we are, that we can be ourselves not only without fear of rejection, but to feeling and experiencing love and embrace. 
To have people where no matter what we're going through, whether it is a time of suffocating suffering or of doubt and questions, or when we are haunted by our own inner darkness, that we are seen and known, accepted, embraced, a people where the longings of our isolation are washed away by life-giving waters of belonging. And in Jesus, we find that belonging. We even uh, sang songs about that water of life, which is offered to all people. No matter who someone is, where they've been, what they've done, what's been done to them, Jesus of the scriptures teaches and lives out that kind of welcome and belonging. All through the, 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 the scriptures, Jesus breaks religious and social norms of the time and time again in who he hangs out with. He hangs out with Samaritans, who are people the Jews considered despicable half-breeds. And he hangs out with women, as a, as a male in a patriarchal society. This is problematic. But even worse, he hangs out with a Samaritan woman. He allows himself to be touched by those who are considered unclean, like lepers. And women who's, who are women who are menstruating. Like, this is like completely unacceptable stuff for a male Jewish man to be doing, especially a rabbi. And he's breaking all of the norms. The most intimate place of hospitality and family, which many of us, I think, would relate to is around a meal, Jesus regularly eats with prostitutes and tax collectors, people who are despised and looked down upon, who are considered filthy and sinners. And these are the people that Jesus sits around a table eating with. This is who he breaks bread with. His welcome and offering brings a belonging to people who are considered unworthy. This infuriated the religious whose judgmental, pharisaical spirits demanded strong boundaries of who is in and who is out, demanding that everyone look and act like them because they have the religion right. And Jesus reinterprets the scriptures in a way that tore down these dividing walls and created family amongst those who the religious would normally consider unwelcome, unworthy, and enemies. Even within Jesus' closest group of friends were people who wouldn't want anything to do with one another. There's a zealot and a tax collector and fisherman and, of course, Judas, who Jesus knew would betray him in fact, Jesus knew every single one of them would abandon him, yet Jesus created community with them. He broke bread with them. He offered grace and thanksgiving with and for them. The holy and perfect creator of the universe welcomes and accepts and loves and speaks words of grace and unconditional belonging to these messed up, broken, unacceptable people who the religious leaders say, have nothing to do with them. And at the table, here together, in this place, seemingly random strangers from all walks of life, whether this is your first time or you're here or you've been with us for 40 years, in this place by the Holy Spirit, we are made into family by the calling of the Spirit and through the gifts of body and blood. And Jesus offers this unconditional belonging to us. Jesus offers this unconditional belonging to you. And Jesus calls us to offer it to one another. 
to no longer be like the Pharisees who make lines of in and out, but to break down those dividing walls and to say to one another, this is my body, receive. Now, doesn't that picture just feel like being wrapped up in like a warm blanket on a winter's day, all safe and warm and fuzzy? You know, it's like, have you heard of these blanket? Have you ever seen a blanket coat? My, uh, it's essentially just a warm, fuzzy blanket that's made so that you can wear it as like a full body sweater. My kids found one at a garage sale in the spring that was in good condition. And well, sadly, it's too small for me to wear. <clears throat> it really is like being wrapped up in a warm hug. And that's what we all long for in our lives, right? And that's what we long for in a church. Belonging that just feels like you're walking around in a warm, fuzzy hug. Well, maintaining personal space, of course. You know, we don't want to get in your personal space. But. Well, that's, of course, is more of a Disney fairy tale version that we all dream of, where it's all warm and fuzzy all the time. There's no friction. Like a car commercial come to life where everyone is all smiles and laughter around a campfire on a beach. And it's easy to read verses in the Bible about community on this idealistic, warm and fuzzy, simple. Now, Ephesians 4, 3 to 6. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, who is over all and in all and through all. Romans 15, 5 to 7. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ had. So that with one mind... And one voice you may glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And in John 17, uh, verses 22 to 23, <clears throat> just as Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for those who believe in Jesus as a result of the message that was spread by Jesus' first followers. And so this is as a prayer that Jesus prays for us. I have given them, speaking of his disciples, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me and have loved them even as you have loved me. These verses can sound easy and idyllic when they're just were in the world of ideas and aspirations. It is easy to read this and to say, hey, the church should be like that. That's what I want to experience for myself when I walk into the community. So maybe I'll just hop from church to church to church until I actually find one that does exactly that for me. The warm, fuzzy blanket. And quite frankly, I do believe that this is what God is calling us to in Jesus. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But it isn't simply a warm blanket. This kind of love, the kind of love and welcome that God calls us to, is more like a blanket that has rough patches, tears that need stitching, scratchy sections that irritate your skin. But that somehow is even more beautiful because of it. Picture it as a meal. A family gathering around a table to eat. This is a family meal. Is a family meal all laughter and warm fuzzies? If so, can I borrow your family for <laughs> a little while? It might be until someone brings up the next election. 
or fossil fuels or just inflation? (laughs) Is it simply all sitting around and enjoying the flavors and the smells of a home-cooked meal? Or does it actually include days of preparations? Hey, maybe you've only been on the receiving end and you, (laughs) you just come, show up, eat, and leave. But it takes days of preparations, of planning, of shopping, of cooking, and cleaning, and cutting, followed by arms deep in bubbly but dirty and oily water trying to scrub pans clean, right? This is a family meal. It isn't just showing up, enjoying a warm meal with smiles, and then leaving. Let's turn to return to Jesus' meal with his disciples. On the night that he gave us this gift of the Lord's table, which is a grace instituted that has continued to make welcome in new family throughout centuries. It was also on this night that one of his best friends would betray him. We forget that. Because this is one of his best friends. He hung out with this guy for three years, did everything together. This is one of his best friends. Think of the closest person in your life that you would never expect anything bad from, and that person is the one who betrays you. And he knows this is going to happen. It was not only the night that this, best, this one friend, but that all of his friends are going to abandon him. And he talks about it, and he tells them it's going to happen. How warm and fuzzy do you think that conversation over dinner was? When we read the story, how warm and fuzzy do you think that Last Supper was for them? And what's more, as Mary Ellen read for us, it was at a meal that Jesus reveals the true nature of belonging in the kingdom of God, in the family of Christ. Remember how I mentioned that uh, at Jesus' dinner parties were those who were considered filthy sinners, despised and looked down on? Well, At those meals, even those people weren't actually the lowest of the low in the room because they were all actually at the table eating. The lowest of the low, not even worth mentioning, are the house servants who serve them. The lowest of the servants, of course, are the ones who would have to wash people's feet as they came in from the dirty streets. So here, in the story that Mary Ellen read for us, The disciples are eating, and Jesus gets up, and he takes off his clothes. He takes off his robe, which is he's essentially taking off his clothes, but he's putting on the shameful dress of a menial slave. And he washes their feet. Now, the disciples maybe would have been willing to wash Jesus' feet. We don't know. It's questionable, but they might have, depending on how high a view they had of him at this particular moment. But they wouldn't have washed each other's feet because that is too, too low. So it's no wonder that Peter gets so upset by this idea of Jesus washing their feet. It's wrong. It's embarrassing. It's shameful. Jesus, the holy and perfect creator of the universe, humbles those who think of themselves as high. And as he does that, he is actually exalting the lowest menial servant up to the highest status in the room. Jesus says in verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, there's so much in this passage. We could do a two-month series just on this passage alone. uh, And we could barely even scratch the surface. But here's what I think uh, we're going to... Well, 
Here's what we're going to take note of today, whether it's what we should or not. The embrace of unconditional welcome and unfailing love that we receive in Christ and that his people, the church, are to offer is to be warm and embracing, sure, and at times warm and fuzzy, but the deepest belonging we can know If you are seeking belonging, the deepest belonging you can know on this side of the fullness of God's kingdom comes not just when we are embraced, but when we in the Holy Spirit embrace others. The deepest belonging we can know is when we are able to not only be served and have the humility to let others serve us and to receive this gift of welcome, but it is also when we take off our robes of entitlement when we take off our robes of pharisaical pharisaical judging between who is in and who is out, and we kneel beside Jesus, washing feet, scrubbing pots and pans alongside of our brothers and sisters, our siblings in Christ. And yes, the church is to be a people where everyone belongs, a people, a place and a people that can call, a place that people can call home and family. And we need to work at that. But though like in our homes, it isn't simply about what we can get out of it, about simply showing up and feeling the love, but there is a commitment and a sacrifice that goes along with belonging. If we want to feel like we belong, we need to be people who do the work of helping others feel like they belong. Being embraced and welcoming, being embraced and welcomed, requires embracing and welcoming, which by necessity requires some giving up of self and a commitment to those in the community. There are two fancy words in English that, that kind of paint this picture, I think, are interconnectedness, which means we are all connected, and the more we live into the reality of our connection, the more we experience the fullness of humanity in Christ. So it's interconnectedness. And the second word is interdependence. This means we are all dependent on one another, whether we like it or not, or whether we accept it or not. But the more we accept and we lived into our dependence on one another, when we live into this reality with love and grace and thanksgiving, the deeper our own experience of life and belonging is. Contrary to fierce independence, which I think leads to isolation, Our interconnectedness and interdependence is a deeply scriptural reality. When we read the scriptures with our eyes open, we can't help but see that Christ has created us this way. Living out our interconnectedness and interdependence in grace and thanksgiving, looking around us to others and seeing that they are the body of Christ to us, with us, and for us. And this is where we find our deepest belonging. As you hopefully know, Friday was the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. And one truth is that if the colonizers who came to this land had come with the heart of God and the grace of Jesus, they would have met First Nations people with eyes of grace and thanksgiving. And they could have seen their interconnectedness and interdependence with the First Nations people in the first time they met. Janine LeBanc Lowe who is an indigenous writer with the, this is a mouthful, North American Institute of Indigenous Theological Studies. 
She writes about how in indigenous culture, the welfare of the group is considered before that of the individual. And so a common saying is, we're all relations. We're all relations. The Mi'kmaq culture particularly was and still is known for a lifestyle of hospitality, one that welcomed not only other First Nations as family, but that even welcomed the French as family. People who would become their impressors were invited into family and given a space for them and making them part of the community. If the colonizers had had the eyes of Christ, they would have seen that in indigenous peoples were not only interconnectedness, connected with them as bearers of the image of God, but they would have, but they would have also seen that the First Nations people were already living out a Christ-like, biblical, servant-hearted hospitality that we find in Scripture, even before hearing of Jesus. If they had the eyes for it, they would have come and said, we are all relations They are living Christ without having heard of Christ. God was already here. That's one arrogance, I think, of Western Christianity. We think when we go somewhere that we're bringing God. But God's already there. God was already here and the colonizers couldn't see Christ because they were so bent on the riches of land and the idolatry of their European religiosity. Christians have much to learn about Christ from the indigenous people of Turtle Island. It isn't too late. From a biblical perspective, the interconnectedness and dependence is what the Apostle Paul calls discerning the body of Christ. Discerning the body of Christ, when Paul says it, is looking at those around you at the table and recognizing them as part of the body of Christ. It is looking to the people around us in this space and recognizing them as family in Christ. Recognizing those beside you and around you as siblings. A people and a family where you come and where you can find belonging, but where you're also called to offer belonging and welcome in Eucharist. Thanksgiving with grace at the center. Come as you are, be true to yourself, willing to receive and be served. Come with thanksgiving and grace for the other, willing to serve as Christ served his disciples. And come with eyes open to see and to meet Christ in one another. This is where we will all find our deepest belonging. And the reality is there will be moments of warm and fuzzy, but there will also be lots of hard moments of friction, of being uncomfortable. There is a cost to our own belonging, and often that cost can be at our own some of our personal preferences. There is a cost to welcoming others as we wish to be welcomed. But this is what it means to accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. This is what it means to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Belonging is about hanging between these two worlds, dwelling in that gracious space where Christ welcomes and meets us, where we both serve and serve. Where by the Spirit's work of unifying us through the bond of peace, we are able to live together, united in our differences. Now, as a community here at Spring, we're always seeking ways to offer opportunity for developing belonging. You know, small group Sundays for people to come and eat and learn together. Life groups, potlucks, hikes. Joining the property committee. (laughs) 
coffee and refreshment time after worship. It's one reason we have what we call, what's called open communion, where we aren't telling you who's in, who can come and eat. But that's between you and God, that Christ, this table welcomes all. It's why our bread is free of, of all kinds of allergens, so that no one who comes in the space goes, oops, oh no, that's too bad, I can't participate. That is Christ's body, that Christ's body isn't for me. But that it's welcome for all. That's why we have alcohol-free juice for any who have challenges with alcohol. It's why we're continuing to worship online for our immunocompromised friends, for shut-ins. It's one reason I thought I realized this morning, one thing we need to think about is we have a platform that people who have challenged with stairs <laughs> have a hard time getting up. This platform isn't designed as a welcoming space for people within the, every, everyone in the community to come up because it's so darn high up. <laughs> There's so many ways that we can, and this, I mean, this is just property. Oh, yeah, there you go, property stuff. <laughs> Even membership. Unfortunately, membership for many has become about rights and privileges. I mean, in the era of the golf club, right? <laughs> it meant you were able to vote on the color of the carpets. <laughs> but that doesn't really offer a lot of meaning and belonging, so why bother, right? But membership, I think, is more akin to the spiritual practice of homemaking. It is saying, I live here, this home is mine. I will find joy, I will find laughter and belonging, but I also will bring nourishing and cleaning and care for my home, for my family. So for the time that I'm here, I'm going to choose to adopt this as my family, to find belonging and to offer belonging, to serve and to be served. Spiritual practice of homemaking. Belonging, of course, doesn't come through programs and membership. So hear me on that. It's up to us to live it. Belonging is not hocus pocus. It is not magic or sleight of hand. It's not easy or instant. It requires work. It requires dependence on the Holy Spirit. It is messy and it is hard, but it is Christ. And so it is beautiful. Belonging is allowing others to serve you. When you're going through a season where you have nothing to give, it's having humility to just say, to just to receive and to be served. But belonging is also serving one another in love. Belonging is hoc est corpus. This is my body. Let us learn to look at one another, discerning Christ in each other, offering the grace of God with one another. Grace for one another in our own brokenness, in our own mistakes. Loving others and serving them in their brokenness, in their mistakes. Living as a family through hardships and the beauty of community. Communion continues when we leave this space. So let us say to one another continually, the body of Christ given for you. And discern Christ in one another. Look around you. This is Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it. Offer it. That we may be one as God is one. Let's pray. Jesus, we read your scriptures and it can be so easy just to read them kind of like fairy tales or, or 
disembodied and just world of ideas. But you lived in the thick of it, in the dirt of it. And your grace and welcome, we will spend the rest of eternity just trying to even fathom how loving and accepting and welcoming you were. We ask God that as you by your spirit have created a bond of peace, we ask that you would help us to live in it. That we as a people would be a safe space, a place where people can come and can belong and to know deep welcome, but also a people that will receive um, the gift of being served while we offer the gift of serving. We love you, Jesus, and we want to love one another. And so to this end, we lift up ourselves to you, that you may make us one as you are one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.